Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You missed the playoffs once, shame on me. Or shame on you, missed the playoffs twice, shame on me, you, me. You. <laughs> We're gonna take a short break. Shame, on, shame on everybody. Shame on everybody. Uh, shame on everybody is right, eh, Jonesy? And shame on you guys for joining us. And welcome to the first episode of our new NHL and NBC podcast. Our line starts, and of course, we have to have the best line in all of television, me and Jonesy. We're going to start off today, and each week you're going to see different uh, people from our studio hosting the show. We're going to talk everything about hockey, and today we're going to talk about. Our first episode is going to be about the first week of the National Hockey League. All right, the storyline. Steven Stamkos puts the lightning on blast. Injury concerns in Pittsburgh. Is the window closing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jonesy? I know we're going to love that conversation. And with Drew Doughty and Matthew Kuchuk going at it again this year, that got us thinking about some of the best rivalries that we've had from back in the day. Plus, Pierre Maguire sits down with George McPhee, the president of Hockey Ops in Vegas, and the mystery caller is going to be joining us. That should be a lot of fun. But let's get right into it, Jonesy. First week, Steven Stamkos not happy with his team, starting off a little sluggish, tough game in Carolina. What's going on with Carolina, especially after what happened last year in playoffs? Well, Carolina, good. Tampa, of course, falling apart, and that's what Stamkos was so upset about. I prefer to see it now than at the end of the year. I think it's important that Tampa faces some adversity. Uh, I think the captain's dead on. They were dominated by the Hurricanes team that last year, you could argue, took some teams by surprise. But when you watch Tampa and you looked at the expectations that they didn't meet last year, you come into this year that you look at them and you think this is going to be an angry group, a team that's not going to let anyone slip by. The fact that they've slipped already... To me, I view it as a positive. I think it's a great opportunity for them to find themselves. I'm going to be very uh, much watching them a lot more frequently at the early part of the season than I was last year because they were on cruise control. But, but does it surprise you? Because that's a long time to wait. I mean, everybody was picking them to win the Stanley Cup. They just rolled through the regular season. They tie a record for the most wins in the National Hockey League ever. And then they lose in a sweep to Columbus. To me, that embarrassment right there and to sit for five months and have that stewing over you. And you can't tell me that those guys all all year, all summer, every week, somebody said something that kind of burned them into their brain a little bit. So for them to come out and have such a lackluster game two against Carolina. I mean, they had two shots after the first period, Jonesy, with all this talent. It is unacceptable. So now do you question their heart do you question their their pride as a as individuals if they can't get together on the second game of the season after waiting this long to start a new season uh, to me that that's not professional uh, so to me i think it's a positive that you're questioning it right now and tampa needed this last year remember we watched tampa play uh, the odd game last season where their goaltender had to stand on his head 
And as good as they were and as many wins as they had defensively, they had some deficiencies. And it was covered up by some great offensive players that lit it up with the extra attacker on the power play and scored some, you know, highlight real goals at the other end of the ice at the expense of giving up quality scoring chances. And I think what the playoffs have proven and continue that will continue to prove is that defense and strong physical play is going to go a long way in helping you win a Stanley yeah, Cup with yeah. great goaltending. But Tampa has, they have star players in every position. So they don't need so to make missing? their goalie the best player Okay, so every what's night. missing? You they're have not, everything. attention to detail on the defensive side of the game. And that's a great opportunity now for John Cooper to address that and make sure that his team is focused on keeping the puck out of their net and also keeping the puck. They yeah. were a very good puck possession team last year, but so was Carolina. And Carolina's better in that department than Tampa is right now, and that's an area that Tampa wants to improve upon. I, but real quick, I, I, I think a lot of people were talking that they didn't have the heavy game, mm-hmm. the playoff heavy game. So to me, I love the fact that Stamkos is listen, listen, we are not going to have uh, any room to, to maneuver here. It is right now. We're not playing well. He's stepping on it. He's making sure that everybody knows what the protocol is going to be in the National Hockey League for that team this year, um, I think they have to show a little bit more jam. They got the talent. They can score. They can play defense. But it's that heavy game, I think, that can change it in the playoffs for them. So and then we'll move to our favorite uh, rival, maybe growing up uh, in the National Hockey League. We both played for the Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins. 13 years in the playoffs. Is that coming to an end? There's some serious injuries. Uh, they have not started out very well uh, this year so far. Um, is is the time running out for the Pittsburgh Quentin? Are, are they going to have to make a make a readjust and maybe rebuild pretty I, soon? I think they've done enough readjusting. I think Jimmy Rutherford's been really busy. Uh, I don't think the injury to Malkin is exactly how he envisioned this season starting. The Bukestad injury is meaningless to me. I, I don't think he's that important of a player. The Malkin injury is really important, especially with his attitude coming into this yeah. season, looking to bounce back from a poor season last year, uh, put the work in in the offseason, got off to a very good start personally before being hurt just a couple of games in. Uh, am I concerned about him? I'm con- a little, little, little yeah, quiet, too. But I, I mean, I, I, Crosby has every, all day, every day for me to wait for him yeah, to get his game. I agree. I, I'm, I agree. Not concerned. Yeah, I don't, I'm not concerned about his game. Latang last year, eventually got to his game, but it took a long time based upon the number of injuries he had. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is holes in the Penguins lineup, but I still think they're a playoff team. My concern is the Eastern Conference, and more more importantly, their division is getting better quickly. Mm -hmm. The Rangers are a much better team and got better quickly. And then the Devils, through the draft, have also improved. The Flyers have improved. Uh, Carolina, we know what they can do. I don't think they're taking a step back based upon how well they've started the season. So that is the challenge for the Pittsburgh Penguins. There was no guarantee last year that they were going to make the playoffs. There was some bumpiness going on midway through the season. So I would say I still believe they're a playoff team, but I think it's a fine line. It's the finest line it's ever been yeah, for the Penguins, no at least in the last 13 years. And I think they have some young kids that uh, that Mike Sullivan can put into the lineup that are hungry right now. They're seeing that opportunity with Malkin being out. Um, there is no question that I think uh, statements need to be made by some of these young kids because when you look at this team, it's Crosby, it's Malkin, it was Kessel, it's Genzel, mm-hmm. and Latang. Um, we're hoping that Matt Murray can return to the, you know, to the, to his playoff run. 
Um, he's definitely one of the better goaltenders in the league, but he showed a little inconsistency last year. If he don't, if they don't have good goaltending in Pittsburgh, it, it could be that could be the deciding factor. What, what do you think of Galchenyuk? You, I think you watched him quite a bit with Arizona. He's got amazing talent. He's got amazing talent. The kid can skate like the wind. Um, he can shoot the puck. The problem is waking him up on time. The problem is getting him to play the game the right way, getting him to play with some jam, getting him to play within the circles. You know, when I played with, uh, you know, for Daryl Sutter and I wasn't playing well, he said I was playing on the outside. Mm -hmm. I'm not playing inside the circles where the puck is coming, where all the scoring chances are coming. I think Galchenyuk, he has that ability to kind of go, go daydreaming. Right, and when you go daydreaming, you're going to miss passes. You're going to miss opportunities. You're you're going to pass when you should shoot. So he's got the talent, but it's going to be up to Mike Sullivan and I think Sidney Crosby to make sure that they have the foot on him to play the right way. Because when he plays bad, Jonesy, yeah, he's absolutely 100% ineffective. When, when you saw in your career young star players get an opportunity to play on a team with star talent, yep. the likes of a Crosby and a Malkin. Uh, was there ever a hesitation on that player? Did, was there ever time you were sitting there waiting for this guy to get going? You watched him, you know, show the potential yeah. that he could shine somewhere else, and you expect him to be a very good player with great players, and sometimes it doesn't happen well, that I think way. It, I think it sparks other players to be able to play with them. Right. Uh, Galchenyuk being in Montreal, really nobody to, to play with mm -hmm. up there. No superstar, really, to be that guy that you looked up to, that when they stood up in the in the locker room and said something, that you you paid attention and made notice that the captain was not happen not happy. Uh, went to Phoenix, and of course, Phoenix has been uh, just trying to. Um, Arizona's been trying to find a way. You know, Tockett's uh, really doing a good job there, trying to change the mentality. But still, no superstars to be. To look up to, mm -hmm. I think now for Galchenyuk, seeing a Sidney Crosby in the locker room, seeing a Malkin in that locker room, let, letting going out to dinner, hearing the stories, hearing them talk all the time, that that can have a lasting effect on a player that has a lot of talent that hasn't found a way to put that talent to work yet. So hopefully for Galchenyuk that that happens. It would be a shame to see Pittsburgh miss the playoffs after 13 years, but. Uh, Whenever you have a Sidney Crosby, you said it. You know, you're going to be able to wait for him. Whenever you have a Sidney Crosby on your team, you're always going to have a chance to win. So, for me, um, I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon yet on that one. No, I think we're on the same page on that. But it is something to watch closely, and I know that we'll be keeping a close eye on it. So, uh, another topic which I think caught both of our eyes, not only just uh, recently in the first week, but uh, a couple years ago when Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty got into the war of the words, and it was a pretty heated exchange both on the ice and off the ice. Uh, take everybody back uh, a couple years ago. Um, Matthew Kachuk, the rookie, obviously the son of uh, a hopefully a future Hall of Famer, Keith Kachuk, who I, I think is one of the best captains I've ever played against or played with and against. He is a, um, a tough, tough customer when it comes to being um, respectful, uh, being a guy that uh, go out and you play the right way. Was Matthew Kachuk being disrespectful to a Drew Doughty who won a Norris Trophy? Uh, Drew Doughty is Drew Doughty um, not taking into consideration who he's playing against and the lineage of Matthew Kachuk. This has been a really good dynamic of a of a of a rivalry that right. has been created. And, and it started with a kind of a sneaky elbow from Matthew Kachuk into the chops of uh, Drew Doughty that ended up resulting mm -hmm. in a suspension for Matthew Kachuk, and then a lot of conversation after that. Uh, it makes for great. Uh, I guess it makes for great drama 
It's something that we enjoy looking from the outside. Uh, Matthew Kachuk's a very good hockey player, a very important player for the Calgary Flames. And Drew Doughty is a superstar in the league. So whenever there's a conversation going on where a superstar talent like Doughty is being brought into uh, a fight against a player that in some people's eyes may be a bit of a drop down, uh, it becomes really a curious situation yeah, so to what follow. You, what did you think of that, Jonesy, though? I and, thought it was great on Matthew and, Kachuk. And I, that, I think he went he's, back to him. He yeah, went back to him I, again. I, don't, I don't think there's any fear in Matthew Kachuk from any player in the league. And there isn't a guy in the L.A. Kings that Matthew Kachuk is scared of. Mm -hmm. So he's going to continue to try to bother Drew Doughty. And the more that he recognizes it bothers Drew Doughty, he's going to continue to do that. And I think it's something that benefits the Calgary Flames. Uh, they have Absolutely. some toughness around Kachuk now as well with Milan Lucic there, who's also good friends with Drew Doughty because they played together. Mm -hmm. But it becomes an intriguing uh, matchup, and it's a matchup within the division, and it's probably something we don't see enough of that uh, I know I'll be watching closely every time those two teams meet. It's, and it was, um, it's very unusual that you see a young kid, especially a rookie, take on a very, very um, popular mm -hmm. and, very, and an all-star, a Norris Trophy winner. And not only that, but then when they played the game, the next game, Matthew Kuchuk went right at him again and said, listen, you know, you're going to yap in the media. You're going to do this. I'm coming right after you again. And I think that shows the type of player that Matthew Kachuk has become, which is what led to his new signing. He signed a big three-year deal, which uh, he greatly deserves. But I think he's in Drew Doughty's head. And it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup continues coming forward. But now, now with us, that makes us think about some of the things that happened to us. I mean, I don't know if you remember with myself. and I remember, yeah. yeah. Myself. And, I watched and, it. I enjoyed it. Well, I didn't enjoy it because I, I remember having, you know, one of the craziest people, Chief Peruby, follow, chasing me around the rink for four years because we had this little scuffle. I ran Ron Hextall in the, in the crease, and, and Paul Holmgren sends out Craig Peruby out to beat me up. And, um, you know, the referee had his arms all locked up, and I'm sitting there. I'm ready to go. I have my hand cocked, and it's a... The, the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other. What should I do? Well, of course, I listened to the wrong one. Boom, knock him out. He wasn't too happy with me, Jonesy. We know, yeah. we know, we know what Craig is like. He's, he will get retribution, and he chased me around for four years. I remember <laughs> I'd jump on the ice. He'd stand up, Johnny, get off the ice, and he'd jump on the ice, chase me around. He finally got so, me. So day of the game, when you know you're playing yeah. again, what's going through your mind? Um making sure that I know where he is at all times. When I jump on the ice, I looked to see if he was coming on the ice, and I made sure that I had the shortest shifts that I possibly could because I knew if he caught me that I was going to get a beating back, and it was, uh, it was going to be swift, and it was going to be painful. The night before, are you sleeping well? Are you thinking about that player? Like, if put yourself in Drew Dowdy's head never, right now. Is he thinking about Matthew? You're Kutuk? definitely thinking about it. There's no question. It's not that you're scared, Jonesy. Being scared is not the, it's not the thing. It's... It's the it's it's the pain. It's the truth. What you have to gonna have to deal with. Um, for me, I was never gonna be embarrassed of getting beat up by mm -hmm. Greg Berube. I mean, he yep. was a lot of guys of in your position wouldn't fight Greg Berube. Uh, a lot of guys yeah. would wait for somebody else on their team to do that. In fact, I would have waited for Craig Berube to fight <laughs> somebody yeah, for me. I mean, I would have fought him again, but I would do everything mm -hmm. I could to make sure I avoided him. So I skated to the bench. He chased me right to the bench. He says, I'm going to get you. And he finally got me in the, uh, in the locker room in Philly when, uh, when I signed in <laughs> Philly. He signed as a player coach. And, of course, Craig Berube can go anywhere. He came down the locker room. 
taping my stick, boom, on the, on the ground. I told you I'd get you. I was like, oh, Chief, that's just, oh, I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry. We're good now. We're good. We played golf that afternoon, and had a, and we've been great friends ever since. How about you? Have you had so, a, something like well, that Well, I had happen? a lot of them, but one was with Steve Thomas. We, when I was with the Flyers, we played the Leafs in the playoffs, and Roger Nielsen came to me as the head coach before the series started. He said, you know, Jonesy, like, we kind of like you to bother Matt Sundin, Steve Thomas's line. We, of course, we'd like you to do other things, but mm-hmm. we really like you to bother them. So it was my job to get him <laughs> off his game. And throughout this entire series, Thomas was a very important player for the Leafs mm-hmm. on the top line. Uh, it was my job to line up with him every face-off. And I leaned on him every face-off, and I put my glove in his face. And believe me, there was a lot of stuff in my glove that went into his face every <laughs> shift. And just kept bothering. i just stare at him and just look at him on the face-offs and then said a few things to him. And by the end of the series, which the Maple Leafs won, they beat us in six games, and the series ends, and we're shaking hands. And you know how the handshake oh, yeah. goes. It's mm-hmm. respectful. And I you know, said, good luck to him. And he, as he, and he wouldn't let go of my hand. And he looked at me <laughs> right in the eyes. He says, I swear on my kids' heads, I am going to you know, effing kill you next year. Because he didn't want to fight. It's the playoffs. He's yeah. an important piece. He doesn't want to lower himself to fight And the wind didn't satisfy it. The wind didn't no, satisfy he, it. No, it, it did not satisfy him. So you the next did your year... Jo- you did your job. Well, yeah, I guess, but they beat us anyway. So anyway, the next year, I had knee surgery at the start of the season. So I missed the first 25 games. Of course, the first game that I'm oh, now cleared no. to play is against the Leafs. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, maybe I could just wait one more game before I go out there and play this guy. <laughs> so Craig Ruby's on my team, and uh, he's calling me all day. He, and he keeps he calling me. He goes, hey. I go, what? He goes, uh, that Steve Thomas is going to kick your ass tonight, <laughs> right? And I go, yeah, I'm aware of that. So we had these conversations. Everyone's busting my balls. So the game starts, and, of course, I'm back playing with Lindros and Leclerc. We're yeah. on the starting line, and lineups are announced. I look across, and there's Steve Thomas. Now, we were both left-hand shots that played the right side, so yeah. he's on the opposite side of me, and I know what's coming. So as soon as the puck drops, here he comes. And he was a tough guy. Oh, yes, he, could, he was. He, he, was could chuck, he could fight. He could chuck him. I so, played with him in Chicago. I seen him. Yeah, I, I didn't even watch any of his fight videos because oh. I didn't know what was coming. He threw jackhammers. He was, yeah, it, was not a, it wasn't a great feeling. I, and I actually grew up a big fan. Of his because I was going to Maple Leaf Gardens when he was playing, <laughs> and I was a huge Leaf fan. So here he comes and he taps me, and we have this fight. And believe me, it wasn't much of a fight. I just kind of held him yeah. off. And if you in, in a hockey fight, if you don't want to get hit, you're not going to get hit. Anybody yeah. can hang on, and as long as you stand in there, it's fine. So we finished this little scuffle, and then I turned to the Leaf bench and I, I went right up. I, okay, boys, who's next? Right, and that mm-hmm. tied Domi's head almost popped his helmet <laughs> off. He's like, I'm next. I'm next. And I went to the penalty box. And for the years after that, every time I was on the ice with Ty Domi, he'd say, is this, the, is this the night? Are we going? Are we going? I said, yeah, tonight's the night. And then I'd tell him, no, I changed my mind. We're not, we're not doing it now. Would you, would, would you fight Ty Domi? No. I would never fight no, Domi. No, that the wasn't going to happen. No, of all the guys that I ever have played against and played with, I think Ty Domi is... I, I fought Probert. Yeah. I didn't want to. He jumped me, but I fought him. I fought Mark Sorley twice. Obviously, I fought Barubi. I, I fought a lot of I, tough guys. But that man, Ty Domi, is one guy that I would never fight because if you hit him in that Teflon head of mm-hmm. his, 
he just got, he just, he got happy. He smiled. He looked at you like something came over him. And that's when fear would. He, totally he was a in. huge Bobby Clark fan growing up. In fact, he knocked his own front teeth out. He wanted to look like Bobby Clark. That's how crazy Ty Domi was. So, and that's a big reason I think Max was wearing number 16 at one point <laughs> in his career too. They're big Bobby Clark fans. So oh not surprising God. with Ty Domi. The, uh, I, I once told Bob Probert I was going to kick his ass, and then he turned around <laughs> and oh, looked at man. our bench, and I pointed at Kevin Kaminsky, who was sitting beside me, and Kevin Kaminsky's like, what? And Probert looks at him. Kevin Kaminsky's next shift, he literally went on the ice. Probert grabbed him, no beat way. the living hell out of him, right? This is a true story. So I'm sitting on the bench. I go, I don't think Killer's going to be very happy with me right now, right? But he comes to the bench after he gets released from the penalty box, and he's still bloodied. I mean, there's there's still blood on his face. He comes over and he goes, I go, yeah, sorry about that, Killer. He goes, that, what do you mean, sorry? That just made my life. It was my goal really? in life to fight Bob Probert. To says, get beat up by Bob thank Probert, you. really. So he thanked me for getting, him, getting his ass kicked. I could see you on the bench given one of these well you know when they line up in front of you right and the back this back is to the bench yeah. so i said probert i'm gonna kick your ass tonight and all of a sudden he turned around and i'm like and killer's like all right i'll do it and uh, went out and did it jonesy i can always rely on you for a great story that was awesome but our mystery caller is still ahead but right now we turn our attention to the golden knights off to a strong start in year three as the franchise pierre mcguire sat down with george mcphee the president of hockey operations in las vegas when you were a young man growing up in Guelph, Ontario, did you ever envision hockey in the desert, George? I did not. Uh, I wasn't sure hockey went much further than uh, Toronto or Buffalo. You know, that's what we watched in those days on television. And to have it all over the U.S. and Canada now is extraordinary. You were working as an executive with the New York Islanders when Bill Foley called you to interview you to see if you wanted the job, to see yeah. if you were even going to get the job. Your first visit here, can you describe it? Yes, I, I wasn't sure what I was getting into initially. Uh, Bill and I talked. Uh, he sold me on coming to Vegas uh, in the conversation. When I came here, I realized that we had all the things you would need to win. We had a great practice facility, great downtown facility, great fan support, easy to get around, easy to get to the airport. And I thought, and I discussed this with Kelly McCrimmon when I was recruiting him, is that if we do our jobs... We can win here. You bring up the name Kelly McCrimmon. He's now the general manager. You're the president of hockey operations. How did that decision play itself out? It was pretty easy. He was going to uh, uh, probably get a, a job with another organization. Uh, I wanted to keep him here. Uh, I think he's that talented, that bright. Um, and so presented it to him, and uh, it meant a lot to him. There isn't a lot that's changed. He'll go to the GM's meetings. He deals with GM's on a daily basis, and he deals with the media. And I will go to board or governor's meetings. But beyond that, we're collaborative on everything we do. And if a final decision has to be made, I'll make it. But we usually get there without that. We, we do it together. You talked about brain power. I find it fascinating, George. Most people don't know. You went to Bowling Green State University. You played hockey there for four years. You went to the New York Rangers. You went to the New Jersey Devils. When you're in New Jersey, you go to Rutgers University to get a law degree. I don't know how many people know that about you, so the brain power is really apparent. When did you decide, you know what, I want to be a hockey executive? Uh, I, when I was in law school, I was hoping I could come back to hockey in some capacity, either work for the league or work for a team. 
And I was really lucky that right out of law school, I was hired uh, on Brian Burke's advice uh, by uh, Pat Quinn. And, uh, you know, what a better, you couldn't find a better man to learn under. I coached against the great Pat Quinn, had many opportunities to work with him in different scenarios, Olympics, World Championships, World Junior, NHL stuff. Can you describe what it's like to work for the big, great Irishman, Pat Quinn? Well, you sure had to be ready when you walked into his office to talk to him about something, and it was an intimidating uh, approach because he's the big, square-jawed Irishman with a cigar going, and he'd look at you, and... Um, but he was probably the best listener I've ever worked with, and you'd present your case and whatever you wanted to do, and he'd give you an answer. We're jumping around a little bit, but in 1994, you were part of the Canucks team that lost to the New York Rangers in Game 7 in New York against your old team. Talk about the emotion you felt that night when your team lost, but your old team actually won. Well, uh, similar to how I felt when uh, we lost in the final uh, two years ago. Uh, had built the team in Washington and, uh, and ended up being in the finals against them. Um, in both instances, you know, the loss is, is what sort of takes over. It's just hard to lose in the Stanley Cup finals. That it was to those particular teams, you know, it didn't really bother me. I was in some ways really happy for them, but it's hard to lose in the final. You talk about building, George. You did an amazing job building the franchise here in Vegas on the ice. I know off the ice you did a great job as well, but on the ice. When you knew you had something going because of the expansion rules, you were able to get a lot more assets, draft picks, younger players, things like that. Talk about your vision for how you wanted to build this team. Well, the vision was to put the best team we could on the ice so get the best players we could in expansion and then get surplus draft picks. But I really felt we had to put a good team on the ice to give this market a chance. We weren't sure what would happen here. Uh, no one knew two years ago that we'd have this extraordinary support in this market. So uh, we put the, uh, the best team we could on the ice. And then in December of our first year, we beat a number of the best teams in the league. And at that point, we said, we're not going to be sellers at the deadline. We're going to hang on to our uh, UFAs and, and and add if we could and go for it. And we did. And we got to the final, and we're going to keep pushing. Before you even played a game on the ice surface in Vegas, you had the National Hockey League draft. And in that draft, your first draft, you take Cody Glass, you take Nick Suzuki, and you take Eric Branstrom, three first-round picks. It goes back to your vision of how to accumulate picks and assets. You've kept one, Cody Glass. You've moved the other two for established NHL players. Can you take us through that mental hurdle that you had to go through? Because I know how much you like those two young players. Yeah, I, I thought we had a real good draft, and they are good players, and it's hard to trade them, but you have to trade good things to get some good things. And it was, you know, that was our approach. We were going to go for it. It's, it wasn't uh, uh, the traditional way of building a team. But we felt that we were that good that if we could make the right moves, we could compete for a cup. So we've made those moves. We have a good team. We'll keep our fingers crossed and see what develops. How much do you talk to your owner, Mr. Foley? Uh, just often enough. You know, when we, when we need to talk about something, he's available. And uh, he has not uh, denied a thing. You know, I've, whatever we've asked for, he's provided, and it's automatic. And uh, he's, he's been terrific to work for. He leaves me alone, and we do the job. But 
you know, he's the owner. It's his team. When he needs to know something, I tell him. I think you have the in- best in-game presentation in the National Hockey League, uh, and I get to do games all around the league, as you know. I also think that you have one of the best community outreach programs in the National Hockey League. How did those two things come to fruition? Well, uh, certainly we had to have a great in-game presentation because we're in Vegas. Lots of competition here. Uh, The good news is this hockey team is for locals. The strip is basically for uh, tourists. Um, So this team is for locals, and we we wanted to get good players, but they had to be really good, low-ego people, and they had to do something in the community, and they've done it. And we're embedded here, and we give back as much as we possibly can and this is a great community to work in. Speaking of community, two years ago, a uh, terrible tragedy with the shooting in Vegas. <clears throat> How did that play internally with the organization? Because I was here the night that you opened the season against Arizona. From everything from Derek England's speech on the ice mm-hmm. to the first responders being honored on the ice, you guys have really dug a deep trench around this community. Well, needless to say, it was an incredibly difficult time, but as we all know, the the love and compassion that can come out of events like that can completely overshadow uh, the tragedy, and it did in this market. The way this market, uh, the way the people in this community responded, uh, we became a community hub for the first time. In a week after that tragedy, they could come to our game and let out some emotions, some positive emotions, some happiness, because we were scoring goals and winning a game. And it's continued ever since. There's a love affair uh, that goes both ways with this hockey team and this community. Let's talk about emotion. In 1982, you were the second ever Hobie Baker recipient when you were playing at Bowling Green. What was that emotional experience like? Well, it's, it's hard to comprehend at that age, and if, if, when you look at it over time, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very significant award. Sometimes individual awards miss the point. It's all about winning championships, but I don't think that award does. It's, it's, it hits the, the mark because it's not only about being a good player, it's about being a good person, it's about leadership, it's about character, it's about graduating, it's about having good grades. And I was in the right place at the right time on a good team, and uh, I was thrilled to be able to deliver that trophy and that recognition to Bowling Green. The coach there at the time, the great Jerry York, coaches your son Graham at Boston College now. Jerry's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. What's your best memory of Coach York? Um, there are several, obviously, but, you know, he reminds me of Mr. Rogers, you know, like the, 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 the sweetest guy in hockey, and nice guys. He proves that nice guys don't have to finish last. They can finish first. And I think Mr. Rogers said there's three ways to success, and Jerry's found them too. Be nice, or be kind, be kind, be kind. And that says it all about Jerry York. Your son Graham plays for him. We talked about that before. You're a hockey dad. You also have two daughters. But Graham's really had a long route. He left Washington, went to Shattuck, St. Mary's in Minnesota. They went to the U.S. National Team Development Program. Then he went to Boston College. He's been gone for a long time from your home. What's your advice as a hockey dad? You're a hockey executive, former NHL player, but what's your advice to, as a hockey father to your son on a week-to-week basis? Well, uh, interestingly enough, I haven't had to give him a lot of advice. I've tried to tell him uh, to enjoy the journey. Uh, 
what I've enjoyed about Graham is he just he loves playing hockey like most kids do and and uh, it's just pure hockey for him that's what he wants to do he just wants to play hockey um, but I've, I've advised him when he's asked to listen to listen to your coaches listen to the people that are running your programs and um, so far so good you're amazingly articulate you're always natly dressed and attired but you were a ferocious son of a gun when you played. You were about as nasty as anybody in the league at the time. How tall are you, George? 5'10", maybe 5'9", 165 5'9", on a good day. Yeah. yeah. How did you do that, George? Look at you smiling. Like, you don't have any marks on you. How did you oh. do that? Um, yeah, I, you, know, you know, I just, uh, I, like most guys, you want to be a complete player and, um, and take care of yourself, and I did. Uh, didn't want anyone to have to step in and look after me. Um, and in those days, there, there, was, there was lots of fighting in the league. Um, there's less now. I think we all enjoy where the game is right now. I don't care if I ever see another fight again, but I like having the threat of a fight in the game to keep people honest. So the nuclear deterrent, I think, will always remain in the game, and you agree with that? I do. I do, because... It keeps people honest in this game and, and can sometimes, you know, it keeps the temperature down when you need to keep it down because, you know, we're carrying sticks and it's a physical game. Was there any one guy that you always had a run-in with? Um, no. Um, I would say that the most difficult fight I ever had was probably uh, with Bob Nystrom, not because he was so tough, because he, he was tough, I admired him so much. He was, a, he was a really good hockey player. He was a leader on that team, and he was tough. And it was like fighting a brother or fighting an idol. I, I really admired that guy. What's the hardest thing for a young player coming into the league today, George? Um, I would say with young players, uh, I think they're, they're more worldly than they've ever been. Um, they, most players have played in international tournaments and, um, and they have access, access to everything at their fingertips regarding training and diet and everything else. So that's all there. It's probably um, the, being an everydayer, you know, being able to you know, show up every day for practice and be good, show up for every game and be good. That consistency is hard to get at this level, but if you're playing at this level, you've developed it. And that's, that'll, that'll be the toughest thing for younger guys because it's a long season. Well, as an organization, you've developed an amazing standard here in Vegas. Seattle's coming into the league in 2021. You've created a huge level for them to try to match. Do you think because of how well you did, especially with the expansion draft, that people are going to monitor what you did and say, we're not making those same mistakes again and it'll be tougher for Seattle? I don't know. Uh, that, that's, that's a good question, but they're in good hands in Seattle with uh, Todd Wiki and Ron Francis. I think they've made really good decisions to hire those men. They'll put a good team on the ice. I hope they do well. Um, but I think it's been fantastic for the league to have Vegas come in. You know, the city is a worldwide brand. This team has done well. It's, we've been an asset for the league. And uh, I think Seattle is going to be every bit as uh, important to the league and I think the league did a great job, uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, in, in creating rules that allow us to be competitive and make this league really strong. Can you talk about the significance 
of drafting Marc-Andre Fleury and what he meant to this organization coming out of the gate? Well, it, certainly the, the, the talent was undeniable. He's one of the best goaltenders in the game. Um, but the leadership is, uh, is what you crave. And to find people that are that good, that humble, that great in the community, um, it, it's hard to do. And, uh, you know, we don't have a captain on this team. We feel we have 23 captains. And, uh, but guys like him are, are big leaders on this club. Would it surprise you if I were to tell you that most hockey executives and people that make their living doing this think that you have a legitimate chance to win the cup? Well, um, I, I, I am surprised by the projections, but, you know, as a manager, um, all you can do is put the best team you can on the ice, and if people are saying you've got a legitimate chance, that's all you can do. Whether you do it or not is a different story, but to be in the mix of those kinds of discussions, um, you're doing something right. George, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Pierre. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Pierre. Great to catch up with George McPhee. And now the moment we've been waiting for, JR. Apparently, a mystery caller is on the line, someone that you've got a little bit of a history with. Oh, really? So this is all about me and a mystery caller. History with me. Everybody has history with me, Jonesy. Well, let's watch it. All right, let's see what we got. I like Patrick's quote that he would have stopped me. I just want to know know where he was in game three. It can't really hurt what Jeremy says because I got my two Stanley Cup rings plug in my ear <laughs> well patrick's on the line with us right now patrick apparently unbelievable what a way to what a way to start our new podcast by having one of my arch rivals patrick Waugh. patrick you there ah, i'm right here gr it's good to talk to you and uh jonesy uh great to be on with you uh also uh it's been a long time since uh we talked trash with one another i see <laughs> Well, it's been a long time since we've heard from you, Patrick. What, what, what are you doing these days? You're, you're not coaching anymore? Are you, st- are you up there in Quebec with the junior team? What are you doing? Uh, right now, I take a break. Uh, you know, last year I coached that team in, uh, in Quebec, and uh, they're bad players. So I, I, I say to myself, I say, uh, I'm not going to coach these guys uh, anymore. And uh, I take a break from that. And... Uh, no, I'm just relaxing. I go on vacation and uh, watch hockey now and see if uh, maybe I get an opportunity maybe to get back to the, the Ligue Nationale hockey. Who was a better goalie, Patrick, you or Dominic Hoshik? Ah, Jonesy, for me, uh, there's no, no question. It's me. Uh, I mean, Dominic is a good, good goalie, but uh, he's, he's all over the place. And for me, uh, I make the butterfly style uh, perfect, and uh, for me, I win four Stanley Cup and three Conn Smite. I think the the records speak for that self for me. Well, what happened to the two Stanley Cup rings that were blocking your ear when that uh, in that ep- in uh, 1996? Probably one of the best, probably one of the best feedbacks back and forth that has ever been in the media throughout uh, throughout all of hockey. I think. Uh, and I, I'm, I know you remember what happened, Patrick. I just uh, absolutely, absolutely toasted you and burned you on a breakaway. 
just put your jock in the in the upper rafters of the United uh, the old Chicago Stadium or United Center, uh -huh. and uh, you yeah. didn't like it too much, and you you were yelling at me about uh, Stanley Cup rings in your ear. Did you get them out of your ear yet? All right. Well, listen. When I hear you talk, I want to put them back in my ear. No <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, but I, the one thing I want to thank you for that is that you know, like I, I ask myself, who who win that series, Jr. <laughs> Who won that series? Tell me that question. Hey, listen, if the refereeing was better, because I was Dang. on an all-out, full-out breakaway, uh, nobody even close to me, and Sandus Ozelinch from behind pushes my foot out from under me, and I literally go backwards onto my ass, sliding into the corner, and they don't call a penalty shot. Because you know what would happen if there was a penalty shot, Patrick. You know I would burn your ass once again, just like I did two games earlier, just like I have almost every game that I played against you. Do you know, Patrick, that you are probably the one goaltender that I scored the most on in the National Hockey League? That, I think, is a fact. So, you know. Give me, give me a number. What's the number? How many goals you score on me? Uh, you he, say think, the most. he thinks it's a fact. What? He thinks it's a fact. I, I think it's, it's a fact. Listen, I think listen, it's a I, fact. I, I, There's no goaltender that I remember scoring more goals on. I don't have the exact number, but it's going to be up around 17, 18, or 19 goals against you. And by the way, we played in opposite conferences. So that's we pretty have special. The exact number. It's 11. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, don't let the facts get in the way <laughs> of, a of good that story. good story. <laughs> now, listen. Listen, Amois. Okay, how many series you beat me in the in the playoff, GR? Yeah. How many? Yeah, zero. You're right. Tell hey, me it's JR, not up. GR. I yeah. just got you mixed up. Well, up. listen, it's the GR. Hey, don't, and it's don't also, make it's fun also of the way the... I say his name, Jonesy, because we win that Stanley Cup in 96, right, in, uh, in Colorado. And then we trade for you, and uh, then we lose the next year. Uh, so don't speak to me about how to say things, because the other thing I know is that if GR wants to borrow two extra cup rings, I have them sitting in my case. I win two more after the two that were already plugged inside my head before that. Okay, okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you the win. I'm not going to disrespect your Stanley Cups even though I would have scored against you in a penalty shot that game. But we'll let that go. But So how was Jonesy as a teammate? Because we obviously know what kind of teammate he is here in studio, but what was he like in the, in the room? Uh, Jonesy, come, he looked like he's a Mr. Uh, uh, intensity, right? Like he looked like he's serious all the time. But the one thing about Jonesy is that uh, he's a big-time joker, this guy. And, uh, you know, I, I think we got a guy that's going to be, you know, tough and play the game hard. But really, at the end of the day, it, uh, the game was a joke for him. And uh, that's why when he played with us, we don't win any uh, Coupe Stanley. But when he leaves, uh, see, that's when the, the championship come back. So for Jonesy, belong on TV, uh, the guy's an entertainer, let's say that. <laughs> Do you remember when I used to tell Craig Billington to start stretching every time you let a bad goal in? Ah, well, listen, uh, I, if, he, if Billington wanted to get in the net, uh, see, I, I just, I just decided to shut the door, and uh, whatever you say to him, it don't matter because I, I decide whether or not uh, Billington play. Uh, that, that's the reality of the situation. When Patrick wants to stop the puck, uh, see, I stop the puck, and when I don't, I, uh, I take the night off. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, listen, I, I will say you, you are going to go down as one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. Not so much for me. You're easy for me. But for Jonesy, I don't think he probably scored on you in any of practices. Did you, Jonesy? Yeah, I did. Okay. You did. Yeah, frequently. But, hey, listen, you were, you were awesome. Thanks for embarrassing me once again, which you did back in 96, and you did it again. So I guess I deserved it. Jonesy? I hope that was him. Do you think that was him? I don't know. Oh, it sounded pretty close. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? He was actually funnier. Now, then I remember him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So No, he had a great sense of humor. He was a great... Did he have great sense of humor? Awesome. Patrick, wow, what a legend. And I just love that. Four Stanley Cup champions, none with Keith Jones. <laughs> he loved that. Right? I do love that. But he still has those two rings stuck in one ear. But he still has the other one. He can hear me, at least. Well, that's it for our first episode of Our Line Starts. We'll have a new episode every Wednesday. And just remember... Different personalities from our NHL on NBC studios. Mike Milbury, Catherine Tappan, Patrick Sharp. Different personalities, different perspective, but it's the stories that you will love. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for automatic downloads. We'll see you next time.